Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Okay, good morning, everybody. It's good to be able to see all you folk on the screen. And I uh, hope you're wide awake and, and ready to roll full speed ahead. So let's loosen the body up a little bit and stretch. And you can worship and stretch and do whatever you need to do. Uh, get a cup of coffee <clears throat> to tune your body in. And uh, let's tune our spirit in. The best way to do that is let's take some time and pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege of waking up. And Lord, uh, just we thank you for the family here uh, on the screen, brothers and sisters. Uh, we know we're at different places location-wise, uh, but we, we believe, Lord, our hearts are in one spot, and that's you. We want to get to know you better, and we thank you, Lord, that Bible study can be a means to that end. So, Holy Spirit, we know you're the great teacher, and we just pray that you would breathe upon these scriptures, that you would take them off the page. Uh, that you'd imprint them in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you would specifically lift up certain portions to each one of us, the portions that we need specifically to know and apply in our lives. So, Lord, we give you this time, and we thank you ahead of time uh, for speaking to us. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> we are in Exodus 37. We're going to be looking at basically four pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, we're going to look at first the ark in the Holy of Holies, uh, and then the uh, table, uh, and then the lampstand, and then the altar of incense in that order. So let me read it through, and uh, we will unpack it. Now, Baziel made the ark of the Acadia wood. Its length was two and a half cubits, its width one and a half cubits, and its height one and a half cubits. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and out and made a gold molding for it all around. And he cast four rings of gold for it on its four feet, even two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And he made poles of Acadia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. He made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work at two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub at the one end and one cherub at the other end. He made the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at the two ends. And the cherubim had their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces toward each other. The faces of the cherubim were turned toward the mercy seat. So that's the ark. And then we're going to look at the uh, table of showbread. Then he made the table of Acadia wood, two cubits long and a cubit wide and one and a half cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding for it all round. And he made a rim for it of a handbreadth all round and made gold molding for its rim all round. 
and he cast four gold rings for it and put the rings on the four corners that were on its four feet. Close by the rim were the rings, the holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of Akkadian wood and overlaid them with gold to carry the table. And he made the utensils which were on the table, its dishes, its pans, its bowls, its jars, with which to pour out libations of pure gold. And then uh, we're looking at the next piece, <clears throat> which is the lampstand. Then he made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work, its base and its shaft, its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand from the one side of it, three branches of the lampstand from the other side of it. Three cups were shaped like almond blossoms, a bulb and a flower in each branch, and three cups shaped like almond blossoms, a bulb and a flower, and the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And in the lampstand, there were four cups shaped like almond blossoms, its bulbs and its flowers. And a bulb was under the first pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the second pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the third pair of branches coming out of it, for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. Their bulbs and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single hammered work of pure gold. And he made its seven lamps with its snuffers and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils from a town of pure gold. Then the last piece of the furniture is the altar of incense, <clears throat> 25. Then he made the altar of incense of Acadia wood, a cubit long and a cubit wide square, two cubits high, its horns were a one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its tops and its sides all round, and its horns, and he made a gold molding for it all around. He made two golden rings for it under its molding on its two sides, on opposite sides as holders for poles, which were to carry it. He made the poles of Acadia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he made the holy anointing oil and the pure fragrant incense of spices, the work of a perfumer. <clears throat> excuse me. So as we uh, start here, <clears throat> excuse me, in Exodus 37, right in the beginning here, um, we need to realize that as we've looked before, God gave uh, specific information to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle or it would be a big tent. Uh, and he basically said, I want you to put that. Uh, and it's interesting in the middle of where the Israelites camped. So the tent was in the middle and all the camps were around it. And he's basically saying to them, uh, I want to dwell in the midst of you, Israel. And I'm going to dwell in the tent, but there has to be a certain approach to me. You just don't walk into the tent. Uh, any Israelite couldn't walk into the tent. It was specifically for the priests. And <clears throat> he basically said, okay, uh, here's the tent where I dwell. And around the tent, uh, he said it will be a courtyard. Okay. And in the tent itself, there's two spots. The first spot, as you walk through that first curtain leads into the what's called the holy place you walk directly into the holy place to the left is <clears throat> the um the lampstand that we're going to look at 
uh, you'll look to the right and you'll see the table of showbread. And if you look and walk forward just a little bit into the holy place, you'll run into the altar of incense, okay? Uh, there's a curtain there in front of the altar of incense, and that leads directly into the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, there's only one piece, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. So that's what we're going to look at today. Very specifically, four pieces of furniture in this tabernacle, okay? And we're going to do it in the order, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that, that basically uh, is laid out here in Exodus 37. We're going to start with the Ark. So the Ark, we know, uh, basically is found, again, in the most holy place, in the Holy of Holies. And the Ark is made of wood. It's overlaid with pure gold. And gold, symbolically, uh, in the Bible, indicates royalty, okay? Uh, and then uh, we're told two other uh, things that come up here is that the Ark was always carried in front of the army of Israel when they went into war. Very interesting. The Ark led the army, and the Ark symbolized the presence of God. So it was very important uh, that the Israelites brought that forward because it spoke to them that our God goes before us, our God's going to fight for us. Uh, inside the ark, we know uh, there is the Ten Commandments, okay? Uh, and the Ten Commandments represent the holiness of God. God is a holy God separated from sin. It also represents his holiness that God in his justice has to be against anything that is sinful. He can't tolerate sin because he's absolutely perfect. So you got the ark, inside of it are the Ten Commandments. On top of the ark, what's interesting is the mercy seat. Uh, so you put the two of them together and you get our salvation. God is a holy God. He has to punish sin and we've all sinned. And that leaves us in a bad state. But God says, guess what? I am not only holy, I'm merciful, I'm compassionate, and I'm loving. And somehow I'm going to find a way to be holy and deal with sin, but same time, find a way to forgive your sins. And we saw, as we've been looking all through Exodus, that God found a way, basically, for the Israelites to deal with sin. And that was to bring animals into the courtyard. And the Israelites, when they sinned, would lay their hand on the animal. The animal would be killed to remind the Israelites that sin is no light matter. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be punished. Uh, and that happened all through uh, the Old Testament for an individual Israelite. And also when the nation went bad, that also happened for the nation. Uh, in fact, we're finding uh, in Leviticus chapter 16, uh, they have what's called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get that when we get to Leviticus, that's the day uh, that all the sins that may have been missed throughout the year were dealt with, an animal slain, the blood was shed, it was carried by the priest through the holy place, the first place, and carried literally into the presence of the Holy of Holies, and the blood was spilled on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, all that symbolized to the Israelites God is holy, but he's merciful, and sin can be dealt with. That's the Old Testament. New Testament, we're clearly told that it's not an animal that ultimately dies for our sins. It's Jesus Christ. 
And we're told in the book of John that, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, what? Slain from the foundation of the world. So there is a real, real significance in the Ark of the Covenant. It's just not a nice little piece of furniture. It represents the very presence of God where God reconciles us with himself. And uh, uh, let me give you this verse in Hebrews uh, chapter 9 and 11 and 12. It tells us basically that this tabernacle on the earth was just a picture of what actually happens in heaven. And now whether there's a literal tabernacle in heaven, I don't know exactly, but it's symbolically portrayed that way. In Hebrews 9, 11, it says this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Okay, not the one here on earth, okay? Uh, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. Uh, so he enters into a heavenly place. And it says he comes to God the Father, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the Holy of Holies once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So the good news, basically, I see in this Ark of the Covenant, uh, is God has provided a way to come into his very presence, which is amazing. Uh, and basically, when Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, we know uh, after he completed that and he said, it is finished, we're told that the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, that curtain was literally torn from the top to the bottom down. And it said to anybody that now the way directly into God's presence was open to anybody. How? Not through the blood of animals, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the Ark of the Covenant ultimately is saying to us, we can have fellowship with God, with a holy God, and we do it through the mercy and the compassion and the love of Jesus as he poured out his blood upon the cross for us. So there is a picture here. Uh, this piece of furniture talks to us a lot about our salvation. Now we bump one uh, to the next one, the table of showbread. Again, we know it's a wooden table. It's overlaid uh, with, again, gold, pure gold. Again, uh, just representing divinity, royalty. Uh, we know on the table of showbread, there are loaves of bread. And the purpose of those loaves are literally to feed the priests. Okay, the priests come in to the holy place. They minister in the place of the Israelite nation. And as they do that, they need sustenance, so they eat the food. But, but again, there, there's a real symbolism here, okay? When you think of a meal, a meal ultimately at its best represents fellowship. You know, if you, you have a, a Thanksgiving meal, uh, other times you get together. When you sit down, in fact, uh, we had a, a group last night, a Bible study here at our home uh, with Kathy. Uh, and the group always has food first. And it's amazing what food does. It kind of relaxes people, uh, makes them to feel at home. It, it just seems to build a camaraderie. So the table of showbread represents, I believe, fellowship, but I believe it also represents unity. You know, as you have fellowship, you begin to feel like a oneness with each other. 
Uh, and this is really, really important. This piece of furniture talks about the power of fellowship and the power of unity. And let me tell you this, this is really important. There's somebody that hates unity. And that's the devil. Let me say it again. Somebody hates unity and will do everything in his power to disrupt unity because he knows there is power in unity. So Satan will try to break up and disrupt anything he can. He tries to do that in the family. He tries to break up relationships between husbands and wives. He loves to break up relationships between parents and children. He'll try to break up relationships within good friends. He's done a nice job trying to break up unity in our nation. Republicans, Democrats, this, that. I mean, we're a fractured nation, and, and that makes us very weak. He also tries to break up churches, and he's very good at that. He can find ways that churches can get disputes among themselves, okay? One church in competition with another, or uh, he can break up churches within themselves, where they fracture and have division within the body or within the stand. God wants unity. Uh, let me give you a, a verse here. It's in Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is. This is what God says. For brothers to dwell together, what? In unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's bread, beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. God says, how pleasant it is. And, you know, if you have kids, I had three of them, and when they were fussing with each other, I was not a happy parent. I'm sure you folks, if you had kids, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, they can be uh, uh, just like driving nuts. But when the kids were getting together and they functioned and, and, and played with each other and functioned in a good way, it's like it brings a smile to a parent when you see your kids interacting in a loving, caring kind of way. That's the same way with God. When he sees his church together, loving and caring, it just brings a smile to his church. When he sees us in disruption, and disunity, it grieves him. Uh, Jesus died to make us one, not only with each other, but one with him. Let me give you uh, a scripture here in John 17, verse 20. Jesus is in the upper room. He's going to be dying very shortly for the sins of the world. But he prays a prayer to the Father right there before he dies. And he says this. And he's in the presence of his disciples. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, the disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Guess what? That's you and I. Eventually it ripples down from them right to us. That they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us. That the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them, even as thou didst love me. Uh, very powerful. God is big into unity. Uh, and we're really in the area trying to work for unity uh, within the churches. It's really kind of neat. Almost for a year now, we've been meeting once a month with 11 churches on a uh, monthly basis to come and pray 
for unity in the churches, uh, to pray for repentance from sin, and literally to pray for revival. Uh, and we're really expecting God to move by the power of his spirit. Uh, each month, there's a, a time of prayer. Let me give you a website if you'd like to be able to join us. We'd, we'd love to have you. We just had one the other day at the Gathering Church, which was amazing. Churches from all over the place, and we came together, and we operated as one. So there's a site called reviveusagain.org. No break in it, reviveusagain.org. But uh, I really would uh, encourage you to give it a shot one time. It, it's really beautiful to get together with brothers and sisters, forget the labels of the denominations and say, hey, we're, we are family and we're praying God, touch the family, make us whole, make us on fire. So that's the second piece that we've looked at here. First, we looked at the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Uh, we then looked at the table of showbread. Now we're gonna look at the lampstand. So the lampstand uh, basically uh, is made of pure gold and there's six shafts that go up and uh, the, the purpose of the lamp is to give light in the holy place so the priests can do what they need to do. I mean, it's like, you know, we have lights. I have a light here in my ceiling. They didn't have any light bulbs you just plug in. Uh, and use no. They basically had to go by fire, uh, and that's the way they did it. But what's important uh, is not just the lampstand; it's what fueled the lampstand, and what fueled the lampstand was oil. And we need to realize uh, in the Bible sometimes oil is used literally as oil. Okay, you put in a lampstand, it causes fire. But many times, oil represents not just itself; it represents and is symbolic of something else. And in this case. Uh, and the lampstand, I believe it represents uh, the power and the person of the Holy Spirit, which is really kind of a cool thing. Uh, we're told very clearly in the Bible uh, that there's no effective ministry just done in human power and human wisdom. It ain't going to make, it's just not going to work. Uh, in Zechariah 4, 6, the Lord says, it's not by human power. It's not by human might. He says, no, it's by my spirit. That's where effective ministry happens, when it's driven by the spirit, not just I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm going to give God my best sweat and efforts. It's not what we do for God. It's what he does in us and through us, through the third person of the Trinity. Uh, I think if you've heard in some of the other subs, I've always tried to lift up the fact uh, that the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Bible is extremely clear. He is the mighty third person of the Trinity. And the Father and the Son have literally sent the Holy Spirit to live within us so that Christ's work that he began can be continued in and through us, the church, so that the world can be touched and changed. So it's interesting. Uh, if you can imagine Jesus is resurrected, uh, he's taken off going into the sky. But prior to that, he has said to the disciples, don't panic. Don't despair. Yeah, I'm going to ascend to the Father. Don't worry. I'm sending a replacement. I'm going to send a replacement. And he said, the way he actually says, I'll send another helper. And the word another means basically one exactly like I am. And, and he will do for you what I did for you. In other words, the way I see it is this. When the disciples were uh, messed up, 
couldn't figure out what to do. They ran to Jesus and they said, help. Uh, at one point, uh, somebody came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They run to Jesus and Jesus responds and helps them. What I hear Jesus clearly saying this, disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to sit at the right hand of God. And just the way you used to run to me, now I want you to run to my replacement. I want you to run to the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit will do for you now what I did for you when I was on the earth. In other words, the Holy Spirit now takes the place of Jesus in the sense of practicality of where the tire meets the road. The Holy Spirit is the one that's supposed to be the lead and guide. What's interesting to me uh, <clears throat> When it says another helper, uh, I, was, I was reading a book and it says in the Greek, probably the best word for helper is a coach or a mentor. Okay, a coach or a mentor. My, my grandson's in baseball. Uh, and over the years, he's been coached. You know, he has some good coaches and they say, hey, you hold the, the bat in this particular way. Okay, make sure you grip it this way. Do this, do that. So the aim of the coach is to get the maximum performance out of the ball player. There's other kind of coaches. Uh, my mother-in-law, uh, Barb's mother, uh, was a, a, a teacher of uh, voice when she was in college. And her point was to help people to get the most out of their voice so that when they sang, uh, I never managed it too swift. She tried with me, but I guess I wasn't too cooperative. Uh, you know, I sing here many times just from my throat. She said, no, you got to sing from your chest and you got to, in a sense, bellow it out and you'll have a fuller tone. <clears throat> so there's people that have vocal coaches that teach them, how do you sing so that you can really get the most out of your voice? Uh, there's also acting coaches. <clears throat> and it's really kind of cool. They, they're there to work with actors so that they really come off very realistically when they're in a movie and they can actually teach people how to cry. That's pretty cool, isn't it? They actually can teach you how to be able to have a fake cry, but make it look like it's the real deal. So what's amazing to me is Jesus said, guess what? I'm taking off. Don't despair. I'm sending a replacement. I'm going to give you your own personal coach, your own personal mentor. And by the way, you know, you don't have to travel miles to get to the coach. You don't have to pay a lot of money to the coach. This coach lives inside of you. And you can go, by the way, you can go to this coach 24-7. I love this. You don't have to go and wait. Okay, coach, once a week, I'll catch you in a week. You got an issue. You can deal with it at any point, at any day, with any problem. The Holy Spirit is a coach in every single area. He's an expert in any area that you have a need. Okay? The Holy Spirit, we're told very clearly. He helps us to learn how to pray. I get bungled out. I say, oh, Lord, how do I pray? And, and I think I'm trying to learn the how to let him initiate my prayers. When we open the Bible, we pray first. We just don't run into the Bible. We need the teacher, the coach. He wrote the book. Well, Holy Spirit, open up. Make the book real to me. Uh, so he not only helps us to pray, he helps us to understand the Bible. He helps us to witness and share our faith. Uh, one thing that I really love, He's really good at helping us solve problems. Anybody have any problem here? I mean, most of us got something that's loose-ended that we could use some insight and some wisdom 
the Holy Spirit is there to be our coach. So I think this is really cool. Uh, when we look at this lampstand, it represents the spirit. Uh, and I, I, I just have to say, again, I've said it before, but I love the quote. Catherine Coleman is a lady that had amazing uh, miracle ministries. And I had the privilege with my wife to be able to go out and attend her services a number of times. And God used her in a mighty way to perform literally miracles where we saw healings. People that were blind began to see. People that were deaf began to hear. People that were lame began to walk. Uh, and I'll never forget. And I, I just say it again because I hope it hits you the way it hit me. I'll never forget at one point, one of her meetings, she stopped to stop the meeting dead. Uh, and she looked at the congregation and everybody was literally spellbound. And she pointed her finger at the congregation and she said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then she said this, he's my closest friend. And I'm thinking, oh, wow. Don't grieve him because he's my closest friend. I don't want you to hurt my friend. But then this is the clincher that knocked me over and has inspired me and it made me hungry. She ended with this. And he's more real to me than you are in the congregation. And I thought, man, do I have a long way to go. Wow. That lady was so intimate with the spirit and God used her in amazing ways. And she said, I'm ordinary. But when the spirit's in me, I'm extraordinary. Not I am, but the spirit in me. So I looked up that. <clears throat> and the last one, <clears throat> sorry, is uh, verse 25, the altar of incense. Again, uh, this is made of wood. It's overlaid with gold. Uh, and uh, as we said, you have to go into the holier place. You walk through the temple, uh, the, the tabernacle. If you walk straight forward before you hit the curtain, you'll hear this, uh, I guess, the, the burning of the, the incense. You'll hear it probably. But even more so, uh, as the incense uh, rises, there's an amazing smell and aroma in the holy place so again is that just incense yeah but the bible says it's more than just incense it represents and is symbolic of something else and i believe that it is symbolic of prayer and worship that piece of furniture uh in the book of revelation uh it says this uh, okay this is in revelation chapter five eight this is you know John gets this picture of heaven, uh, and it says in Revelation 5.8, and when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, okay, uh, in a sense, uh, the cherubim, you know, I talked about the ark. You had the, the ark, the holiness inside of it, the Ten Commandments on the top, the mercy seat, but the mercy seat were cherubim, were angels, you might say, that were on top of that. And it says uh, in heaven, uh, the four living creatures and then the 24 elders, which I believe would be any believer, Old and New Testament, that had opened their heart to the Spirit. Uh, they fell down before the Lamb, that's Jesus, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, okay, it says here, which are the prayers of the saints. 
the incense represents the prayers, your prayers and my prayers. When we pray, they ascend into heaven and they make a difference. Uh, there is also Revelation chapter 8 uh, and verse 1, 2, 3, 4. It says this. And when he broke the seventh seal, that would be Jesus, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar. Okay, there we are at the altar of incense, holding a golden censer. And much incense was given to him, that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. So <clears throat> when we pray, something happens. And what I think is really pretty special is this piece, this altar of incense, is, is right before the veil that takes you into the Holy of Holies. Into the Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God. So when I hear God saying, if you want to get into my presence, if you want to get through that veil, if you want to encounter the Ark and my presence, then you have to come through the altar of incense. In other words, to get to God, you have to be a person of prayer, and a person of worship. And a verse that has just literally knocked me over recently, it really got me fired up about uh, a week and a half ago. I was reading through something in a devotion, and it says, it's Psalm 100, verse 4. And it says what? Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And his courts with what? Praise. Enter his gates. How do, you, how do we come into the presence of God? And when we come to church, you might say when you, when you enter the building, okay, you go through those, you have a greeter, you go through the glass doors. In a sense, the Lord said, enter that with a spirit of thanksgiving. Neat way to come to church. I come through those doors. Thank you, Jesus. You have been so good to me. You've done this. You've done that. You've been faithful in supplying my needs. You've touched people I prayed for. Da, da, da. Thank you for a good home. Uh, thank you for my family. Whatever. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, but come into his courts. The courts are the presence of God. That's when you're coming into the worship center, okay? And how does he say, enter, enter my courts with what? Praise, with worship. Uh, it's really cool. Psalm 22, verse 3, it says this about God. Thou art holy, O thou, who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Or another translation would be this. Thou art holy, God, who art enthroned and inhabit the praises of Israel. God, he literally in heaven is in an environment of worship and praise. You study the book of Revelation. Angels are perpetually 24-7 saying, holy, holy, holy. They're worshiping. God dwells in an atmosphere of praise all the time. That's his home. And if you want to get to heavenly places and you want to step out of this planet and enter into a heavenly realm, then we got to enter in the way that the angels do. We have to be people of praise. And I found that myself more and more. The more I praise God, the more I turn my eyes away from me and get out of myself and get away from my problems 
and the distractions of life and the distractions of everything that goes around us and focus literally on the Lord and just get lost in him, uh, it's almost like I begin to step through the curtain and enter into the Holy of Holies. So that altar of incense really speaks loud and clear of that's the way I need to prepare my heart if I'm going to come into the presence of Almighty God. So my prayer, literally, and I'm going to pray it in a moment, uh, is that you would experience the reality of each piece of furniture. We, you know, we could have made this very dry and said, oh, well, this is a piece of furniture. Here's a piece of The furniture is it's furniture, but it's symbolic. And each of these pieces of furniture says something. Again, uh, we need to be able to appreciate uh, the table uh, of Shobed. It speaks of unity. And there's a challenge I'd have to say to any of us. How, how unified am I in my relationships in my family? Or my friends? Or with my church friends? Or where I work? Am I in unity with them? Uh, or is there a disruption? Is there somebody I need to forgive? Is there somebody I have a grudge against? Because a disunity will short circuit your walk with the Lord. You can't have unity with God till you first also have unity with your brothers and sisters. So that first piece is very clear. There is power in unity. So do everything you can to be at one with people and one with God. That's the first piece. The second piece, the lampstand, we saw that's all about the person of the Holy Spirit. Get to know him. The Bible's clear in 2 Corinthians that you can fellowship with him. You can get to know him. You can get to know him intimately. And God, through the Holy Spirit, can minister through you and touch lives. So that's the second. The lampstand represents the, the person and the power of the Spirit. Get to know him. Number three, the altar of incense, as we said, represents prayer and worship. Become a person of worship. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning when you come and we worship for an hour. May worship become your lifestyle. May Thanksgiving be a lifestyle where you can just live in an atmosphere of, oh, thank you, Lord, you've done this for me. You've been a blessing to me, Lord. Lord, you're worthy of worship, not that I can get anything from you. I just worship you because you are so beautiful that you're worthy of my praise. And then the last piece, uh, I pray that you would be able to experience the ark because the ark represents the very presence of God himself. And I believe that's the deepest hunger in everybody's heart that's on the screen. Peel away all the other stuff and get to the deepest cry in your heart. And I believe the deepest cry in your heart is saying, I want to experience God because that's what heaven's all about. And the beautiful thing is we can begin to experience heaven before we, you don't have to, how can I put it? You don't have to die to experience heaven. You can get a foretaste of it in this life as you become a worshiper. So let's pray, folks. Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you, Lord. You have given us a, an illustration, a visual aid uh, about how to encounter you, Lord. We thank you for the, the table of showbread. Lord, I pray for each of us. Lord, we pray for unity. Uh, in our life. Father, we pray for unity within our, our church, Fusion Church and our two campuses. Father, we pray for unity in the churches in the area, that there would not be competition. Uh, and that we pray for unity, Lord, um, not there, but for our nation, Lord, and even for the world. 
And Father, we thank you also for the peace of furniture called the lampstand. Holy Spirit, I pray for each one here, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, would not be a thing, uh, but that you would put a hunger in us, Holy Spirit, to get to know you, uh, to be able to cooperate <clears throat> with you in ministry, uh, and to be able uh, to, to let you loose. Uh, we know you've commanded us, Lord, in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, to be filled and controlled with the Spirit. Make that a reality, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the altar of incense. Just a reminder, Lord, that we, we shouldn't be grumblers. We should be the most thankful people on the earth. So, Lord, I pray you'd help my brothers and sisters and myself. Lord, give us a thankful heart. We are blessed. But, Lord, let us not just stop at the blessings. We pray that you'd make us people of worship, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, that we would just get caught up in you and not what you're even going to do for us, but just who you are. And Father, we thank you for the last piece of furniture, which is the Ark of the Covenant. Lord, we know it represents your very presence that was in the midst of Israel. Uh, and Lord, we just do not want to know about you. And I pray, Lord, for every one of my brothers and sisters on the screen, Lord, that you would not allow us to be satisfied with just data, with knowledge, uh, intellectual understanding. But Lord, you put a hunger and a thirst in us for an encounter and experience with you, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you, uh, and just turn us loose. Use us, Lord, to be a light in the world, and we pray in Jesus in your strong and in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. God bless you, and enjoy your day.